0: This is On Being's Unheard Cuts. I'm Krista Tippett. You're listening to my unedited conversation with Andrew Robinson. He is the co-writer of the biography Rabindranath Tagore, The Myriad-Minded Man. I spoke with him on January 26, 2014, from Paya Studio at On Being on Loring Park in Minneapolis. He was at BBC Studios in London. Download the MP3 of the produced show with Andrew Robinson at onbeing.org. Hello? Ah, hello.
1: Hi. Hi.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello from Minnesota. It's very cold here today.
1: Oh, it's wet here today. Is it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes,
1: wet and windy. Uh, where are you? Uh, we're in London in the in, off-broadcasting house okay. in BBC. All mm-hmm. right,
0: great. Well, thanks for doing this. Thank um, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. I've spoken with Anita Desai. <clears throat> Um, the novelist right. and Amitav Ghosh. So mm-hmm. I've gotten some uh, very different um, perspectives, but uh, you know, it's really fascinating to delve into this. And I think Tagore is one of these figures who was so important in his time, but his, you know, and and maybe people have seen that picture of him and Einstein, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they don't even know who he is. Uh, so we're excited about uh, doing our little part to bring him to the awareness of people. Good. So, Chris, how are we doing? Sorry, I'm just speaking to my producer behind the glass. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, yes, it's, we're going to talk about Rabindranath Tagore, I think, uh, and maybe a bit about Einstein. And
0: uh, we're I, here in London.
1: I presume we're going to get rid of the echo, aren't we?
0: Oh, are you here? Oh, great. Oh, okay. So. Would you say, um, is it Gitanjali?
1: Gitanjali.
0: Gitanjali. All right. Yes. All right. It
1: doesn't matter too much.
0: Well, I know, but I said it incorrectly at one point, and uh, it, I mean, does matter. <laughs> I need <to> say it <laughs> Gitanjali. Right. I don't yes. think we'll say it very mm-hmm. often, but to the extent that right. it's said, I need to say it correctly.
1: The—the mm-hmm. the, I suppose the main problem is with other names, but we'll just forge on, I suppose, and do the best we can. Do
0: what? Oh, yes, we will. Yes. All right. So I think we can start... Um, and, you know, as we begin, I just, uh, I'd love to hear uh, how you first discovered Tagore. What was your earliest awareness of him? What was the context in which that happened?
1: Uh, that was through the films of uh, Satyajit Ray, oh, okay. who was a student at Tagore's university. And um, Ray made several lovely films, some of them masterpieces, based on Tagore's short stories yes. and a novel and he used a lot of Tagore's music. So I saw those when I was quite young, and then I wrote a biography of of Ray, and, of course, there was some of Tagore in there too.
0: So you, you were quite young when you... Did you also watch the film, the documentary he did about Tagore?
1: That was a little later, I must uh-huh. say. I, I saw that in my 20s, but I saw some of the early films by Ray based on Tagore, the short stories called Three Daughters. I saw them when I was in my teens, I mm-hmm. think on the BBC broadcast on
0: television. So what captured you that you later wanted to pick up and, and write this biography of Tagore?
1: Well, uh, I don't think the films uh, directly inspired it. I think it was my contact with Bengal and with Mr Ray when I was writing that book. Mm-hmm. Um, we started talking a lot about Tagore uh, and then I helped to organise an exhibition of Tagore's paintings in London, which I'd got to see through, through Ray, actually, who, who was uh, trained in fine arts at Tagore's university. So he knew about the paintings when he was a young man. And I picked up on, on the paintings probably before the poetry, uh, as a mm. matter of fact. Mm.
0: Uh, there's a line in, in your biography, The Myriad-Minded Man. He is found everywhere in Bengali life, and yet he is lost.
1: Yes, yes. Well, he is. He is found everywhere, uh, particularly in his songs, which every single Bengali knows a bit about, and many of them can sing them. Uh, And, of course, they learn about him in school, and they probably visit his house where he lived in Calcutta. But uh, I think in many ways the complexity of the man is lost. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was much more than... Just a simple poet with a with a simple message, he was a complex figure, like Gandhi in that respect,
0: yes, although I don't know, and we're we're going to obviously flesh this out, but I wonder also if it is his very complexity that that has made him hard to make him just a symbol of something you know, because it seems like he tried he did so many things I mean you, this myriad minded man is the right it, yes. it, it is a good description and he, he saw a, a ambiguity in everything uh, in, in such an interesting way. He was always evolving, it seems, all the way through his 80-plus years.
1: Yes, for instance, he, he was opposed to British rule in India in a sense, but he was inspired by Western science and Western literature and Western civilization. You see, there's a sort of deeply rooted ambiguity there. He, he, he opposed... Nationalism, I suppose you could say, he opposed the the imposition of uh, the European military political might on India. But he was very much in favour of Western education, and uh, he encouraged at every possible stage Indians to respond to the best of the West, if you like.
0: Right, even even in more in more specific ways. I mean, in 1905. Um, when he, he came out very passionately against the partition of Bengal, which was a British uh, – this British divide and rule policy that, that separated the Hindu and Muslim populations. And but then and – then, and he was a voice for this movement of boycotting British goods. But then as he saw the, the complexity of the real effects that in fact it, it fell harder on the poor economically – you know what I'm saying? Yes. He never was one of these people who kind of took up a flag. and, you know, He always saw the difficulty and the, the many sides um, of yes, what was I'm happening. Yes, I'm sure you're
1: right. I'm yeah. sure you're right. This is a factor in, in why he's no longer as well-known as he was uh, at the time he won his Nobel Prize. And he always said in the years after he won the Nobel Prize that, um, y- you know, if I'd stuck to to doing the kind of poetry that first won me that prize, uh, which which W.B. Yeats so admired, that yeah. poetry called uh, Gitanjali Song Offerings and some other collections. It, it, Tagore knew that if he'd stuck to doing this rather um, straightforwardly semi-mystical love poetry mm-hmm. with a strong sense of... of the divine. Uh, he would have been a much, uh, he'd probably been a much more famous man now right. than he actually is, uh, because he did so many other things. He got bored, in a sense, and frustrated. I think with with the image that had been created at that time in his life in 1913 and then around the time of the First World War, and he wanted to get away from it in later life.
0: There's, um, yeah, I mean, even that that the story of how he became. So celebrated um, in the West is so interesting, um, right? That Yeats uh, and Edzer Pound—they um, all, you know, kind of discovered him, and and I think even brought him to the attention of the Nobel Prize people. He was the first non, first Asian. He wasn't the first non. European. He,
1: yes, I think he was the first, certainly the first Asian, and I would have thought the first non-European
0: writing in English to win the Nobel. So, Prize certainly for before
1: before the United States in that respect. Yeah, I mean he he <laughs>
0: right
1: right. <laughs> he was the first uh, outside of Europe, uh, not in. Uh, you know, obviously his interest in uh, literature was was there, but uh, I mean the sciences came later.
0: Yeah, course. but but even that. Um he was so championed and, and celebrated, and then he renounced his knighthood in 1919 after the massacre at Amritsar, so even...
1: Yes, and he was the first Indian to respond to the Amritsar massacre publicly. Mm. Uh, that's quite a courageous thing, really. He he felt that the politicians should take the lead, but he tried to persuade Bengali politicians to, to, to uh, convene a meeting to make a protest against the... The massacre and they refused. Uh, in effect, they were afraid they, they would get uh, the, you know, persecuted by the government under legislation uh, in force at that time. And Gandhi also refused uh, to make a public stand at that did time. He? So, yes, he did. So Tagore was the first. And maybe it wasn't the most politically effective move, but it was... What he felt he he alone could do, uh, mm. which was to renounce this honor that had been given to him for his for his literature by the British government.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, there's there's something in Tagore's the, the personal trajectory that uh, that actually reminded me of the story of the Buddha, which is just this this, this young man raised in this. Um, but of course, we know much more about him that we than than one <laughs> knows. You know the story that comes down about the Buddha, right? This the prince in the in the uh, enclosed, you know, living living this life of containment and luxury, who one day ventures out and sees all the suffering and the poverty, and um, and his comp- his vision is changed. And there's a bit of that. In in Tagore's story, I feel that, um, but I mean, you know this story better than I do.
1: Yes, there is a bit. Uh, You're right. Uh, I mean, more in his father's case, because his father was the the son of an extremely wealthy man, uh, grandfather of Rabindranath, uh, known as Prince Dwarkanath Tagore. He wasn't actually a prince, but he was a merchant prince, Mm -hmm. India's first industrial entrepreneur i think you could say and and an incredible figure in his own right but not at all a spiritual man uh but also not a lackey of the east india company or the british government he was an independent man and and he handed wealth down to his son and the son the father of rabindranath that is the mahashi as he was known the maharishi so to speak um he rejected that as a young man and so Tagore. The, the grandson, I think, inherited both traditions: mm. uh, the, the, the 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 luxury-loving tradition of his grandfather and the austerity of his father. And they, in a sense, they ran side by side throughout.
0: Because he didn't. didn't he life. still grow up at the, in this great estate, right?
1: He grew up in a wealthy house. Uh, the estates were in Bangladesh, as we'd now call it, in East Bengal. Uh, they were not particularly wealthy, but they were big. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were full of very poor people, and they they were not um, they were not wealthy estates, but they were substantial for their time. And he was the, the manager of those estates in the 1890s. Uh, He did grow up with uh, wealth, there's no question about that, but his father, as I say, was an austere figure, and so the boy wasn't really spoilt in the way that perhaps Buddha would have been spoilt before he left the the palace, Uh I think Uh. it's fair to say. Uh, And Tagore was very interested in the Buddha, but he was not, uh, and and very inspired by him in later life, but he was not sort of consciously modelling himself in any way, I think, on... On that story,
0: yeah, no, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't know that there's any conscious connections, just that that's what his, the story reminded me of, mm-hmm. um, the way he straddled. Uh, but, but, but in fact, unlike the story of the Buddha, I mean, the the story of the Buddha is the Buddha leaves the palace and leaves all of that behind. But Tagore, um, as you say, that was his inheritance, which he didn't, um, he he didn't uh, relinquish. And it seems like he always straddled these worlds of, as you say, poetry yes, and mysticism. I think he did. But I also think he reality, did. I think.
1: Yes, he, he, he was somebody who understood uh, wealth as well as poverty at firsthand, I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, he, he, he was not uh, somebody who made a lot of money in his life out of his writing or anything like that. But he... He had a certain uh, comfort level, which he became embarrassed about actually in later years uh, and wanted to sell off the house and and the estates and just concentrate on running this this school and university
0: right so he did kind of, he t- created this Institute for rural reconstruction and yes he, he got into education education reform in a quite innovative yes. way
1: education was what he thought was the answer for. Indian uh, development. I mean, he really profoundly uh, thought that education was the answer to to caste consciousness and narrow-mindedness of all kinds uh, and indeed the introduction of science in India. And he he took education to heart from the age of about 40 and set up these institutions that uh, are still inspiring in a way, uh, but he was a poet, and he wasn't very good at
0: administ- right.
1: administration. Those <laughs> <His> practicalities, yes, <laughs> yes.
0: So, um, you know, I think there's a sense. You, you used this phrase a minute ago, and you said uh, if he'd just continue writing those semi-mystical, the semi-mystical poetry that had won him the Nobel Prize for Literature, he might have stayed more famous. And it seems like that is he. He was almost glorified by people like Yeats and Pound in a way imagining a spirituality in him that, that Britain had lost or that was not accessible to them um,
1: yes and not just Yeats and Pound I mean uh, there was a whole sense that Tagore was looked like Christ I mean many people said this literally he, looked like yes the, uh, yeah. many, many people said that uh, at the Passion play in Oberammergau people said how like our prophet you know, uh-huh. the German audience And Darwin's granddaughter, I think, said, I could now understand this powerful and gentle Christ, which I never could before, Uh after seeing Tagore. So there there was a very strong feeling that he represented moral goodness in addition to being a poet. Um, And I I think the First World War did have an effect uh, on his reputation, which... Which increased it and then in the 20s it, it, uh, it to some extent collapsed
0: because there was uh, kind of this this the spiritual despair and vacuum of those years or?
1: yes Wilfred mm-hmm. Owen took Tagore's poetry to the to the trenches right of World it, War at, one a, after Owen was killed yeah uh, his his pocketbook was sent back to his mother and there were there were some lines from Tagore uh, in it and she then wrote to to go when he visited London in hmm. 1920 and said I, I would be very grateful if you could tell me where these lines come from and those lines are, are to be found in, in the faculty library in, in Oxford University, you can see it still
0: Do you, do you remember what they are? Or anything? Um,
1: when I go from hence let this be my uh, let this be my surpassing word, I haven't got this quite right. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Just what I have seen is, is um, unsurpassable. I, I haven't got that quite right. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but the, what, what, what was it expressing that, that is, uh, is there in Tagore's thinking?
1: Uh, I think it's expressing the um, what he said was the great theme of his work, which was the uh the finite in the infinite yeah. um all his work he felt was was expressing that idea um and that's part of certain strands of indian philosophy too so he was not exactly borrowing i think he was just inheriting a tradition in india
0: um, is that connected to um another uh, another idea that's there that that spirituality, and I don't know if he would have used that word, um, leads humanity from partiality, partiality to fullness. Are those things? Are those ideas connected? The finite and the infinite, partiality and fullness, the real and the unreal—is another thing he talked about.
1: Yes, uh, he goes into this with Einstein, doesn't he? A mm-hmm. certain amount um, when they had a conversation. Uh, with that um, rather wonderful headline in New York, uh, a mathematician and a mystic plumb the truth. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That was the New York Times, wasn't it? Yes,
1: Yes, I like that. Uh, uh, The conversation was in Germany, you're quite right, but it was published in the New York Times. Um, These are are evanescent things in Tagore. I, I mean, he was certainly a man who tried to live life to the full, that, it sounds a bit trite, but it is amazing how much he packed into his 80 years. Yes. Uh, after all, he started uh, painting at the age of 64, 65, and, <laughs> and produced over 2,000 works before he died. Not all of which are good, but uh, quite a few of them are. Uh, there aren't many painters who start at that age and continue right up to the end.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that um, that conversation he had with Einstein because you've written about that and and uh, you know you were talking a minute ago about how he looked and you know he he always um, even after having won, won the Nobel Prize and being knighted you relinquished that but being knighted he he. Uh, it's very, he was very stri- st- striking, stunning, long hair, bearded, um, and many people have seen a photograph. There's a photograph that's often shown when people look at photos of Einstein's life, of Einstein mm. with Tagore, but many people don't. Tagore hasn't come down in memory for even the way Gandhi, certainly the way Gandhi or Einstein came down in memory, and mm. so he's this uh, figure out there, but... Uh, Although you
1: do find Tagore referred to in the Encyclopaedia Britannica Uh entry on Einstein. You do find that. Really? Yes, the conversation between them is quoted there because it's so kind of... Uh, precise, the difference between the two of them.
0: Between the two of them, right. Who was it? Isaiah Berlin said it was a complete non-meeting of minds. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
1: that's right. He wrote that to me. (laughs) And Isaiah Berlin knew a bit because he'd attended Tagore's lectures in Oxford in 1930. And he knew Einstein. So he he knew both sides to some extent, yeah.
0: But... um... It's a, it's a it, non-meeting of mind it may have been, but it's a fascinating dialogue. And it remains, I think, fascinating today, um, reading it today. It's very interesting that it, you know, Einstein is compelled to say at the end of this long discourse mm-hmm. about truth and beauty and reality then I am more religious than you are.
1: <laughs> That's right. I am more religious than you are.
0: <laughs> so, so t- take us inside. What what happened there that could lead Einstein to whose real religion, whose deep religion? Although he, he he had a, as he said, a cosmic spiritual sensibility, but his real religion was a deep reverence for science and for the f- yes. laws of physics. So,
1: well, you so, of course have written about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm aware of that. Yeah. I and and talked to many others about it. I, I, I think that uh, it's true to say that in 1930, when Einstein was arguing with Niels Bohr about quantum theory and yeah. God does not play dice and the whole concept of uncertainty, the yeah. uncertainty relations in, in, in the atomic world, um, I think to, Einstein was quite fired up with this very, very strong belief in the independence of truth from the human world. The the, the world is something out there, independent of human beings. And this is where he really, he and Tagore just could not see eye to eye because Tagore said, no, no, the scientific world is still, uh, it's still that of of human beings, it's still the human viewpoint. How else do we perceive truth except through our minds? And Tagore had a, 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 a sense that uh, science was, was part of um, the human mind and indeed the cosmic mind. He, he believed in that, uh, which Einstein, I think, would not have agreed with. Uh, and that there was no, no truth that there was independently existing of human beings. That's what he says. And then, of course, Einstein says, but what about the table in this room? Uh, even if we weren't here, that table would still exist and Tagore is actually even unable to accept that. Um, he says, yes, it would still exist, but it would, we would perceive it through the universal mind, even if not through our individual minds. Um, the, the conversation uh, goes in many directions, uh, but I think that's the nub of it. They disagree about truth being independent of, of human beings and the human mind.
0: So it's so interesting to me to interview you here this week because I just did a had a conversation with the physicist Brian Greene. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, I, I've had a conversation um, with Brian Greene, which is going to air before this conversation with you airs. Um, and so, for example, the the image of the table is in that one, right? And yes. and, and and so he's a. He's a successor of both Einstein and Bohr. Um, string theory, quantum physics is all part of his vocabulary. Um, and you know his argument, which is, is the way people will talk about this now, you know that um, that we are constantly deceived by our five senses, right That the reality of that table, uh, that, that we perceive that table in the room, as Mm -hmm. something that is solid and, in fact, it is not. That's not the deep reality of the table. Mm. Um, Um,
1: (laughs) What does he say about the self, I wonder?
0: (laughs) Well, so for him, for him, and I think I I guess he's more in line with Einstein in this, as as I'm Mm. understanding Einstein a little bit better reading you, um, um, that that reality, the, the, the true reality of that, is is exists independent of whether we can see it or not, um, and in fact we probably aren't seeing it, and that doesn't matter <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because it is what it is. I mean, I just want to read. This is actually a quote from a a, a, a little article you wrote um, and an edited version of an article you wrote about the mathematician and the mystic, the meeting between Einstein and mm. Tagore. And you, you know, you said Einstein writes this in 1930. If the moon in the act of completing its eternal way around the earth were gifted with self-consciousness, it would feel thoroughly convinced that it was traveling its way of its own accord on the strength of a resolution taken once and for all. And his point is that we – and this is this gets into free will, right? And that, and yes. that we also do what we do um, with self-consciousness, believing that uh, – that that uh, that we have some kind of choice in the matter or some kind of um, integrity of action um, but tagore tagore was saying and you, you correct me if i'm getting this wrong tagore was saying the fact that we perceive that table <laughs> um, that, that that there's a sense in which that table only has a reality or in our in human perception, that, he, that you can't write that off, that that is a form of reality and of truth. And that perhaps, didn't he say, sorry, that, si- that science also takes place in the human mind.
1: Yes, right? he does. And, and he, he's, uh, in, in a sense, more in line with today's thinking than Einstein was at that point. Yes. Uh, because of this current obsession with consciousness, really. Uh, Tagore is saying that, Consciousness has created the universe. I I think that's what he's really saying underneath it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't use the word very much, consciousness. He does a bit, but that's the way he would probably put it. Um, And, you know, I don't want to go too far down this road because I think Tagore himself had a... uh, Disagreement with himself in a sense when there was a terrible earthquake in 1934 in, in, in India, and Gandhi made a statement to the effect that uh, the earthquake is uh, due to the sin of untouchability in India.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, And he openly said that and he defended it. He defended yeah. that point yeah. of view very movingly, I think, I think wrongly, but he, he did. And Nehru said anything more opposed to the scientific outlook is hard to imagine. Uh, and he was very shocked. Uh, and Tagore agreed with Nehru on that occasion. He said that uh, we, ne- we may depend on it, however bigoted we may be, however great our iniquity, uh, that we cannot bring down the structure of creation. <laughs> right. Uh, and,
0: and, 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 and he was as opposed to untouchability as Gandhi, right? Uh,
1: yes, I think almost as much. Okay. Yes.
0: But he said mm-hmm. physical events have physical causes.
1: On that occasion, on that occasion, and that was Einstein's view too. You see, in in the 1930 conversation with Tagore, but this is what I mean that he, I think, frankly, he had a struggle with himself about this question of whether there really is an independent. Uh, universe, uh, independent of the human mind, uh, existing out there. He appeared to agree right. with. Right, I see what you mean. There's a certain
0: contradiction, and in-
1: mm. uh-huh. I think there is. Uh, and I think that it's probably inevitable. I don't think these are questions uh, that anyone can answer for certain.
0: Yeah, I mean, here are some lines from uh, Sat- Satana, the Sadhana.
1: Sadhana, yes. yes.
0: When when was when did he write that?
1: Uh, that was in the uh, in the t- teens of the last century.
0: So early, uh, early on.
1: About 1913, yeah. I think, from memory.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, so it seems to me that, yes, there's that contradiction. Um, he is trying to posit um, a capacity of humanity, whether you call it spirituality or consciousness, that has its own force. Right? I mean, he's not... T- I mean, so here's, here are a couple of uh, passages that struck me. Man must realize the wholeness of his existence, his place in the infinite. He must know that hard as he may strive, he can never create his honey within the cells of his hive. For the perennial mm-hmm. supply of his life food is outside their walls. He must know that when man shuts himself out from the vitalizing and purifying touch of the infinite and falls back upon himself for his sustenance and healing... Then he goads himself into madness, tears himself into shreds, and eats his own substance. Well, that's a little bit wild. Okay, here's another (laughs) one. (laughs) The the man of science Mm -hmm. knows in one aspect that the world is not merely what it appears to be to our senses. That's what we were saying a minute ago. He -hmm. knows that earth and water are really the play of forces that manifest themselves to us as earth and water. How? We can but partially apprehend. Likewise, the man who has his spiritual eyes open knows that the ultimate truth about earth and water lies in our apprehension of the eternal will, which works in time and takes shape in the forces we realize under those aspects. This is not mere knowledge as science is, but is a perception of the soul by the soul. This Mm. does not lead us to power as knowledge does, but it gives us joy, which is the product of the union of kindred things. That's very, very provocative, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean this is the one. Of, I don't want to be too um, uh, critical of Tagore here, but I, I that isn't one of my favourite essays of his. I, I, okay. I think the difficulty is with Tagore's essays is some of them. Uh, I think he 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 waffles a bit. I mean I I can see why. Um, People admire it, but I prefer Creative Unity, uh, which he wrote later, and I think was better, probably better edited by uh, somebody mm-hmm. in England.
0: Do you, Do you have any of that with you by any chance, or are there? Uh, certain...
1: I have a I have a book. Yes.
0: Um, I mean, I'd love to hear a passage that you think is more, you know, that you find appealing oh, and.
1: Just a moment. Okay. Just a moment. Um, let me see. It might take me a moment That's to find all right. it. Uh, yes, East and West. Uh, I hope you don't mind me criticizing. No, <laughs> so no, I don't. No, know, I but... don't. You're,
0: you're the expert here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I don't think I would want to get well, into too much of that. Uh, well, anyway, you say,
0: you know, he he was constantly evolving. And if this was written in the earlier part of the century, he yes. his, his thought continued to develop.
1: Yes, it did. I think that's, that's certainly true. And it also, he he was exposed to more of the West in the twenties, and that made that had a big effect on him. Um, well, uh, let me just see, East and West. Um, there's an anthology I published, uh, which is available in. Somewhere in the states.
0: Oh, all right, we'll look for Uh, that.
1: Yeah, St. Martin's Press. It's quite a good anthology because it really gets some of some of everything in it. Great. It's. It came out in 1998, I think. Okay. Uh, Just a moment. I'm sorry, I could have found this if I had. No, don't worry. It's fine. We have time. Thought about it. Uh, What I'm looking for is the. Perhaps I should have marked it. I could I could quote to you on the earthquake, because I did mark that. I thought oh. it was rather a startling uh, statement to yes. Gandhi. Yes, yes. Uh, would you be interested?
0: Sure, I'd love to hear both of those. Um.
1: Yeah. The Bihar earthquake, um, he says there uh, that... Um, if we associate ethical principles with cosmic phenomena we shall have to admit that human nature preaches its lessons in good behavior in orgies of the worst behavior possible (laughs) For we can never imagine any civilized ruler of men making indiscriminate examples of casual victims including children and members of the untouchable community Mm. in order to impress impress others dwelling at a safe distance who possibly deserve severer condemnation Uh, and then he says um, the law of gravitation does not in the least respond to the stupendous load of callousness that accumulates till the moral foundations of our society begin to show dangerous cracks and civilizations are undermined Mm. what is truly tragic about it is the fact that the kind of argument that Mahatmaji uses by exploiting an event of cosmic disturbance far better suits the psychology of his his opponents than his own. Uh, (laughs) And it would not have surprised me at all if they had taken this opportunity of holding him and his followers responsible for the visitation of divine anger. So he turns it round there and says... uh, That the the Brahmins uh, (laughs) might well have (laughs) taken the same line that Gandhi did about that earthquake, Uh, whereas in fact Gandhi took it. uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't find uh, anything very suitable on the spot uh, from Creative Unity, but I would recommend it.
0: Okay. Um, When you say that, that so so really, what I mean, you know, the other thing is this is all very complex to summarize. I mean, it's not really. Yes, summarizable, but it seems to me that he's in that in that reading I, I read a minute ago. He's he's acknowledging that um, that that the, the true reality of things, in a sense, even what water and earth are or a table, are only partially uh, apprehendable by our senses. But but that there's something he talks about. Um, there is something, uh, there are spiritual eyes and there are some kinds of ultimate truth. Um, yes. Right? That's... And tell me, so tell me how you, I think you feel that that maybe doesn't reflect uh, the fullness of his own thinking as he, or or it's not not all that helpful as a, uh, <laughs> Tell so tell me what you're objecting to in it. That's what I'm trying um, to get at.
1: Well, uh, I, I think it's that uh, to go he- the difficulty is, let's let's be frank about this. Uh, Tagore said, "I'm not a philosopher." Uh, I mean, people regarded him as a philosopher, but he, he he rejected that label. He said, first and foremost, I'm a poet and an artist, uh, and I've I've got a view of the world, of course. But uh, I'm not a I'm not a logical thinker," is what he was really saying, or somebody with a philosophical position. So I think his whole view of life was was incredibly uh, profoundly uh, influenced by the fact that he was a, a, an artist.
0: Uh, right.
1: And art, poetry and many other things, music, of course, and painting, were what he gave him the, the strongest sense of joy in his life. Um, and he felt that the artist perceived the world... Um, probably differently from from the majority of, of other people. Uh,
0: and that word joy is so central to him, It right? is, yes. I mean, to me it seems like that, and, you know, this last line of <clears throat> the thing I read a moment ago that, you know, there's knowledge that leads to power and uh, there's knowledge that leads, there's, 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 uh, there's apprehension which leads to joy um, you know, when I was in this room with this physicist uh, in new york city mm. it when he was describing this view of reality um, where the only things are real that are real are things that are the laws of physics, and um we can 't even comprehend that it's It was a complete dismissal uh, you know of human <laughs> of, yes. of human perception and human experience, yes. not to mention human free will. And a dismissal of, you know, joy. Yes. uh, Which is so... I can imagine that.
1: (laughs) Yes, I can imagine that. (laughs) Um, And and I I I think... think, Yeah, go on. uh I I think that um, in the end, Tagore uh, said that the... The, the joy matters more yeah uh, to right. him at least uh, than than the the logical understanding or the idea that uh, that truth was independent of of his perception i mean he, right. he he didn't really accept that because his whole life was was artistic
0: um, right. There's th- these lines I love. I mean, it's actually three lines, the little three lines of poetry. I am a poet. I do not debate. I look at the world in its wholeness.
1: Yes, uh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just wanted to mention another one, actually, which is a favorite of mine, um, uh, an epigram of his. Uh, the worm thinks it's strange and foolish that man does not eat his books.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, that's quite uh, goes to the heart of a lot of Tagore, I think. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: it's all about seeing and perspective somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, when you you used the phrase a minute ago that he that he believed that there was some kind of cosmic mind or universal mind is another phrase I've seen. Um, yes. What what did he mean by that?
1: I'm really not sure. (laughs) I don't think I'm prepared to to go there because uh, I don't understand it. Uh But he believed in it. Uh, He fundamentally believed that that's why the table still existed, uh, even though he and Einstein were not there to observe it, uh, that there was this cosmic mind and that, of course, he was... uh, In some way, his personality was was part of that. Uh, Even after death, I mean, he he did believe in a... Continuing existence, I mm-hmm. think uh, you, you you'll understand that from his play, The Post Office, uh, which is probably his most famous play about a boy dying, uh, which which has stirred some remarkable people. Uh, it um, it was broadcast just before the fall of Paris in 1940 right. on French radio, and it was performed in the Warsaw Ghetto by the um, a group of Jewish children who were then taken away and gassed. Uh, and it's it's always been a classic. Gandhi was thought that was one of the best things Tagore ever wrote mm. uh, and said so in a, in a letter. Uh, mm. So it's probably worth uh, thinking about in your program.
0: Yeah, actually I did. Anita Desai speaks about that in a mm-hmm. wonderful way. So it's wonderful actually for you to set that up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, thank she you.
1: She wrote the foreword to the edition that we translated, I remember. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, So tell me some more. I I do sense that for you, um, Tagore's painting becomes just as interesting as anything else he ever did. And, you know, it's hard to talk about painting. It's hard to talk about painting on radio. uh, It's probably
1: worth saying, yes, how he started, though. He started by uh, elaborating his manuscripts that he had crossed out. He'd, He'd made corrections on his manuscripts. Uh, He would cross things out and then he he felt they looked uh, ugly. And so he started making uh, patterns with them with his pen and the patterns eventually grew into fully-fledged paintings and then he took up the brush. And He still used the pen, but he took up the brush and started creating independent paintings. Uh, And he said, I'm not going to show these to anyone in, in India. I'm going to show them to art critics in Paris and Germany and United Kingdom, who are more open-minded. And so he took them and he exhibited them in Paris and uh, in Germany and other countries. And there were some very excited reactions. Um, And then he started painting in earnest for the last decade of his life, till 1941. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, nowadays his paintings are very sought after in India and, and worldwide, and they're, they're, they're quite difficult to buy.
0: I think, well, I'm think sure we'll be able to put some um, some of those images up on our website um, mm-hmm. because I'm just longing to actually have them in front of me as I'm hearing you talk about them. It's interesting. It's very interesting, though, that they grew, that his pa- painting grew somehow organically from his working with words.
1: And may I say that they're not... Um, the reason I find them exciting and also many critics... Do uh, whether Indian or non-Indian um, is they not predictably Indian? I mean, Tagore's nephews created what was known as the, the Oriental School of Art, which you know consists of, by and large, uh, scenes from Indian myth and legend, uh, illustrated generally in a rather kind of. Uh, a bit like an Indian miniature with somewhat less powerful colours but bit more um, wishy-washy, I'm afraid. And that whole school of oriental art was rejected utterly by Rabindranath Tagore in his 60s. Uh, he said, I'm 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 going to paint from my mind, I'm going to paint from my imagination, I'm going to paint yeah. from my, my dream world. And they're almost all figurative. A few are, 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 are totally abstract, but mostly they're portraits or weird creatures that existed in his mind and they're so unexpected you know Mm. you just would never think that Tagore would have created these the man who wrote Gitanjali Mm. and all those wonderful short stories so realistic about village life and town life and, and politics in India and so on um, none of that is present in the paintings really. It's it's a completely different uh, picture of Tagore that emerges uh, and sometimes a rather savage one. I mean, you, you get a sense of a man who's uh, not all uh, at ease with himself and certainly not, um, I mean, he's he's got demons, you know, and the demons are sometimes illustrated in the paintings.
0: Hmm. Well, I think ev- every mystic has demons, but they don't all put them on paper to, to exhibit to <laughs> the world.
1: <laughs> sure you're right.
0: Uh, um, there's this thing that he's said to have said on his, no, that he wrote in 1941 which I believe was near his near the end of his life. Um, as I look around I see the crumbling ruins of civilization like a vast heap of futility. Yes. And as you say, he was very outspoken about all the way through, you know, his life, things that were wrong. <laughs> um, yes. and, but then he com- concluded, yet I shall not commit the grievous sin of losing faith in man.
1: Mm, mm. And I think that's very important. And I, I think he didn't. Mm. And that's what Ray Satyajit Ray took up in his in his documentary. He didn't uh, Tagore didn't commit that grievous sin of losing faith in man. I mean, right to the end. Uh, The paintings show it, incidentally, but... uh, How how do the
0: paintings show it?
1: Well, there's light and joy and freedom in the paintings, uh, and the people, the portraits, are often of very uh, troubled people, I think, but you feel feel the painter's empathy with them. Um, I think he... He didn't. Uh, he didn't turn his back on on human beings and and take refuge in abstract art or, or the natural world. Uh, he's it's, he's always interested in human beings, right to the end. Uh, and the last letter he wrote, I think probably was the very last letter, was 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 a letter to the, uh, the bishop, uh, in India of all India, the Metropolitan, who who had argued with him that. Uh, it was his duty to to support the British war effort in the Second World War uh, and to encourage Indians to do so. And he said, well, I would have liked to have done so because this war is, is a crusade against all that huh. reduces the, insignificant, the significance of man. But I'm, I'm heartbroken that the British haven't woken up more to their responsibility to India as a result of their own troubles uh, he wasn't saying he wouldn't support it but he was saying uh, he was anguished over the whole issue um,
0: but you know I think that 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 uh, reminder of his his reality base and um, you know, there's nothing romantic about him really I mean yes, he's a poet He was an artist but he didn't he didn't rom- he didn't gloss over um, reality no. you know that to me that lends gravitas and integrity to his insistence on joy. I mean, you know, here's some, here's some other lines, and I'm not sure where these came from, lines of poetry, but just coming back to that overriding theme of his, which is different. <clears throat> it, 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 it lands in you differently if you know what mm. you just described about how he approached reality. You know, joy flows through the universe, the sun and moon drink of it, a full measure the light of the joy of goodness stays ever effulgent, effulgent, I'm not sure you say that, effulgent, mm-hmm. what are you all by yourself confined to your own ego? I,
1: I heartily agree with you. Uh, and one should not forget that his family life was tragic. Yeah,
0: uh, right, right. Uh, he, lost, yeah. he
1: lost so many children uh, and a grandchild at a very young age. And his wife died when he was 40. um, And he he was a very lonely man, actually, in those later years. Uh, He had so many people around him, but no really close friends, as he himself said. Uh, One up till his mid-60s, and then after that, no one, he felt, was Hmm. was really a close friend. Uh, So he was speaking from a lot of pain uh, and experience of... of, uh, the darker side of uh, life—I mean, not just personal life, but political as well, and uh, the, the social, uh, caste uh, problems in his, you know, in society, and and the, the poverty of the people on his estates. He really knew a lot, and he'd seen it as a young man. Um, so I think you're right. Uh, his whole outlook is based on experience and mm. honest experience. Right. And, and this is what Ray stresses in his documentary. Whatever its flaws, and it was made to celebrate Tagore. So
0: yeah, I've watched n- it, yeah.
1: yeah. Not everything in it, even Ray said I had a struggle with dealing with Tagore and Mussolini and things like that. You know, there, there are episodes <laughs> he met with Einstein,
0: <laughs> he met with Mussolini. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. there are things that that Ray didn't quite approve of in Tagore's life and, uh, and his view of communism I think was a bit naive. Uh, But again, uh, if I may say so, in 1930 in Moscow, he was the only one of those visitors, you know, uh, who was so taken with the Soviet system for a while, who openly told Izvestia in an interview that you are making a mistake in encouraging hate against your class enemies. You shouldn't do that. Mm. It will backfire upon you. And Izvestia didn't publish it. Uh, it mm. was not published until 1988. It was one of the
0: two major
1: newspapers. Right. And Dubček, just before the Prague Spring uh, uh, sorry, Dubček took, just before the fall of communism in 1989, Dubček quoted these these words from Tagore uh, uh,
0: really?
1: in Czechoslovakia, yes, which had been suppressed. So he, he had courage.
0: Yes. Oh, we've covered so much ground. Um, what else? You know, how would you talk about uh, what's in it for modern people, for people in the 21st century in the West um, to rediscover Tagore?
1: Well, I think the first uh, thing is, is the, just the sheer quality of the, uh, the short stories, some of the novels, the paintings. The melodies in his songs—we we can't follow the words unless we know Bengali—but the, 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 you know, those songs are—they've they, been, <laughs> to put it crudely, they've been ripped off by Bollywood because they're just so good. <laughs> you know, he was one of the greatest songwriters ever, huh. uh, and he just wasn't interested in commercialising his work. Um, those are things that are worth uh, concentrating on, and even if you don't like the songs you can still take pleasure from from all the writing uh, go to a good selection I mean don't don't try and uh, go into the the whole thing because Tagore had a I'm afraid a bad habit of publishing too much he should have edited himself more <laughs> uh, and I think the best is an awful lot uh, better than, than than the average with Tagore that's one difficulty other than that um, I think like Gandhi, uh, but differently, uh, this was a man who helped to inspire a whole nation um, to stand up and take pride in itself and, uh, you know, when Mandela died, obviously the world listened. I, I, I think that to go was, in many ways, um, somebody of that stature. Hmm. Uh, and probably, you know, he'd, if he'd written in English rather than in Bengali and then tr- been translated, the whole world would know that now. Uh, there is always going to be a barrier, and, right. uh, and he himself said that languages don't issue passports easily to cross their jealously guarded boundaries. Yeah. Uh, and so only some of his work works. And I would finally say uh, that if you can, uh, it is worth looking at several of the films of Satyajit Ray based on Tagore, in particular The Postmaster, which is about um, 40 minutes long and is probably the most moving film Ray made, I should think, mm. uh, much admired by Jean Renoir, the French director, and many others. And that gives you the essence of Tagore in 40 minutes. Okay.
0: <laughs> Anything else you'd want to say about, I don't know, how uh, being steeped into Tagore's uh, life and thought kind of imprints you?
1: Yes. Uh, I think uh, probably as you get older, you find different things in him. Um, I think the things that appealed to me 25 years ago might not appeal as much as they do um as other things do now um he had you know insightful things to say about um all periods of life including the later years yes um, uh, including you know death itself uh, he was a poet of of with powerful ideas and a lot of experience of that subject um and and i think that he has always entertained me as well. You know, his sense oh. of humour in uh, in his best work, it's very hard to translate, but in his autobiography, My Reminiscences, I was reading it again this morning before coming to talk to you, and I was, I was once again gripped, you know, by his childhood and his experiences in growing up in this artistic uh, house in Calcutta uh, and how he was rather lonely, but his brothers were... All the time creating things around him, and that helped to inspire him as an adult to do the same. Um, that that was very amusing and charming. Um, his sense of humor.
0: There's this story that when Gandhi wished him another happy decade on his 80th birthday, and he mm. wrote back, four score is impertinence; five score intolerable." Exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he but he also
0: wrote very gripping anguished poetry about aging.
1: Yes, the last poems which were written uh, which couldn't be um, they were dictated actually, he couldn't write them anymore
0: Uh
1: uh, in the middle of 1941. Yes, those are uh, profound, aren't they? They're short but they do deal with the things that concern us all. Uh, You know, the meaning of our existence and... um,
0: I was trying to see if I I had written them down at some point. Um, oh yeah, brutal night comes silently, breaks down the loosened bolts of my spent body, enters my insides, starts stealing images of life's dignity.
1: Yes. Uh, and he, yeah. Yes, yes. He was he was in a very uh, uh, sad state by then, and he had to be um, brought to Calcutta for an operation, which he didn't want. Um, and, and he died in the house that he was born in which sadly was not what he wanted either he wanted to die in his school uh, in the country mm. Um, mm. but of course Calcutta was the place for uh, sophisticated doctors at that time um, and the very last poem uh, you've also got probably that's, uh, that's about the, so to speak the, the afterlife uh, although it doesn't quite use that word uh, that, I don't think I, think I have that powerful.
0: one. Do you have that one?
1: Uh, yes, I do. I'm not okay. sure I read it very well, but uh, let me just see. Okay. Uh, I do have it here in the poetry section of this anthology.
0: I'm so glad to know about this anthology. We'll, um, we'll recommend it.
1: Yes, it's uh, it's just called Rabindranath Tagore: anthology. Okay. Um, and uh, it came out from St. Martin's Press. Uh, yes... This is the very last poem he wrote, um, in English, of course, originally in Bengali. The sun of the first day put the question to the new manifestation of life. Who are you? There was no answer. Years passed by, the last sun of the last day uttered the question on the shore of the Western Sea in the hush of evening. Who are you? No answer came.
0: Mm. That's it. Mm. Thank you so much. Um, This was really wonderful.
1: Did you really get something you wanted? I wasn't sure. absolutely.
0: Yes, absolutely. Oh, Um, I'm relieved. Yeah, and I think you're going to be, you're kind of advising us on this. um, Yes, feel
1: free to ask further.
0: Yes, if we have questions, um, and we may. Um,
1: by all means, yes. Okay. you've Got my email. Yeah. Yes. And yes, please do. I'd be yes. happy to. I'm. I'm sorry about Sadhana, but um, that you took me by surprise. <laughs> yes. No. 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 That's all right.
0: No, actually, that yes. that was important. Um. But if you, you know, there was the you were looking for something creative from was a creative unity. If you find something, maybe you could just um, send that reference to Lily. Yes. Okay. That'd that. be great. And because yes. we can point people to that on the website.
1: Yes, there's something in the anthology. I just couldn't find it. Yeah, great. And I'll send it to you.
0: All right. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I hope that was all right. It
0: was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.